Morning, how is everybody doing? Oh, that good, that's awesome. So I have just a, a good old-time gospel sermon for you today. I was praying about what to talk about, and I thought, you know, our country is kind of going so crazy right now, really the world is, and uh, I am not sure if we understand what we think we understand. So here's my question for you. Are you saved? Are you saved? What do you mean by that? What do you think that means? So if you go to older parts of certain major cities in our country, uh, you might see an old gospel mission, an older church there, uh, a big billboard that was probably painted 50 years ago. Uh, I think in LA, there's a famous sign that says this, uh, it's like neon, and it says, Jesus saves. And that's what I put out there on our, uh, our little sandwich board. But I wonder if we even know what that means. Do you know what it means to be saved? So I think that many people would associate being saved with going to heaven. Would you agree? So if you're saved, you're going to heaven instead of going to hell. Does that sound about right? All right. But we've come to a time in our world where I'm not even sure a lot of people believe in hell anymore. And if they do believe in heaven, they're kind of thinking of it as that old movie from the 90s, uh, you know, what things may come or, or, or whatnot. You know, that, that it's just your wildest dream, your wildest imagination is going to somehow come true, and that's heaven. But heaven is really God's place. It's God's space. So uh, if you don't like God... If you don't like church, you're like, oh, I don't like church people. Well, yeah, sometimes I don't either. But uh, nonetheless, uh, when we're sanctified and when we're saved and when we're brought into the kingdom of God, I think a lot of things are going to be different. But what won't be different is your attitude toward God. So if you don't really like the things of God now, you're just not going to like heaven too much. So here's what I think is missing. When we, when we think of being saved, we think of something that is way off into the future, especially if you're young, right? If you're a kid, you're like, well, you know, someday when I go to heaven, then, you know, I'll, I'll meet my relatives that have passed away. Um, and, uh, you know, that way I'm not scared at night. I can pray my prayers and so forth. But I think if we take a look at scripture, we might find that the picture is a little bit different. In fact, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna read to you from Acts chapter eight. And uh, so, you know, if I miss a step and I, you know, I don't tell you everything that I need to tell you about this, if you'll pay attention to the scripture and if you were listening to Miss Jubilee when she quoted the scripture earlier, then you'll have a good idea of what we're talking about and what is necessary to be saved. But let's take a look at Acts chapter two and I'm gonna be reading from the New International Version and this is a, a somewhat lengthy passage of scripture but I want you to just hang in there with me. In fact, I'm gonna pray real quick before I read it because I want you to understand it. I want you to take it in. I want you to really put your attention on this, right? Father, I just pray right now that you'll open your word. I pray that you, your spirit will descend and I pray that you will work conviction and transformation in people's hearts this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So. Jesus has died and he was buried and on the third day he rose and he showed himself in a physical body. Now don't think of physical like your body that deteriorates and dies, but a resurrection body. 
that people could touch, he could eat, and he was there and showed himself to upwards of 500 people at one time. He met with his disciples and he spoke with them. He wanted them to be certain that yes, although this was unprecedented, certainly nobody had ever risen from the dead until Jesus did, that this is gonna be the first time among many times that this happens. Jesus is called the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That means that the reason that he went through all the pain and suffering that he went through was so that you could one day, after you die, rise from the dead and live for eternity with Christ, with God in heaven, right? So 50 days after that, 40 days later, Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And then 10 days after that, 50 days total after Easter was the day of Pentecost. And I related this passage to you uh, right around that time, but I'm not gonna be focusing on uh, the Pentecostal gift of the Spirit at this point in time, except that you need to know you have the Holy Spirit if you're really saved. Take a listen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. That is, they made fun of the, the disciples and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and his foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
David said about him, and now he quotes Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what, has what, was, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. He wasn't abandoned to the grave, that is. Nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Another messianic psalm. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm not going to teach that whole passage. I wanna focus on one verse. Our message is gonna be very brief and very focused today. That verse is uh, verse 40, Acts 2.40, and that is where Peter said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Friends, if you are not looking around you right now and seeing the corruption of our age, of our generation, of our era, then you're not paying attention. There's a, there's a falling away that is going on right now. There are people who were once Christians in every sense of the word. They didn't just go to church, they sought to be the church, but some of them have been convinced by the culture that Christian values that come from the word of God are no longer acceptable, that they need to follow the culture and the direction that the culture is taking them. And yet the culture is moving increasingly away from the Bible, is moving increasingly toward an anti-Christian and really an anti-Christ stand. So I'm going to say to you what Peter said to those people in the first century, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, salvation does mean heaven. Salvation does mean a resurrected body. But I want you to understand that the first thing salvation means is that you are saved from this cursed, corrupt world. A fellow was asking me earlier this morning about being unequally yoked. There's a scripture that talks about uh, relationships and it says we shouldn't be unequally yoked. We shouldn't be in partnerships with unbelievers. This doesn't mean don't be friendly with, don't be kind to. 
But very clearly, the Apostle Paul was saying, I don't want you to be connected to, I don't want you to be hooked up, I don't want you to be in a dependent relationship with people who don't believe and live out their faith in Christ. Now, that would certainly apply to to, uh, um, intimate relationships. I don't even know what to call these anymore. I have children present, all right? It would certainly apply to marriage. It would certainly apply apply to uh, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. But honestly, it, it applies to business relationships. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody that, you know, is a, is a really, really, uh, you know, the, they would be, uh, you think, a, 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 an aggressive business partner that you could make a lot of money with, but they don't share your Christian values. They don't believe in the, the, the word. Maybe they go to church, maybe they don't go to church, but they're not living that out. And that's very obvious to you and anybody that knows this particular person. Now, I'm not thinking of anybody right now. I'm really not. I just know that this goes on all the time. In fact, I know people who have lost a lot of money and have lost their business because they have become unequally partnered with a business partner that didn't operate a according to Christian values and Christian ethics. This is any kind of partnership or relationship. But what I want to do is I want to take several steps further back and say, you need to unpartner with the world altogether. You know, there's so much trouble going on right now that I, you know, I've heard people say, yeah, I wish 2020 would, would just end. It's not a year that's the problem. You do realize that, right? We'd like for it to just be the year. And then when it turns 2021, everything changes. But the reality is this is about choices that people have made. Right? I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, although you should realize that not all conspiracies are merely theories, by the way. But the coronavirus is a man-made virus. People were experimenting with viruses that uh, were in bats. And they were trying to see what they could do with that. uh, And it hopped over into human beings. And now we have a worldwide pandemic. These are choices people make. The the recent protests uh, at the, uh, the killing of George Floyd Um, the police officers who did that chose to do that. The people who are protesting are choosing to do that. The people who are are abusing protests and turning against Christ and burning Bibles in the streets and destroying property, they're choosing to do that. It doesn't have anything to do with a year. What we're living in is a demon-infested world. You don't need to fear the coronavirus. You need to fear the devil and his angels. Actually, you don't need to fear them either if you have Christ. What I'm trying to get at is salvation means being saved out of all that. It's not just, well, I'm saved. Now I just got to sit around and wait, you know, to go to heaven. So I guess what I'm going to do is hide in my house and just kind of hope it, you know, passes by. I've been giving you as many promises as I can give you about our present situation and how God protects his people. But that's what you need to understand. Maybe another word for salvation could be protection. Amen? The Lord surrounds his people with protection. Now, that doesn't mean you won't get sick. That doesn't mean you won't get hurt. It just means that you're safe for eternal life, okay? And it also means that when you live your life in accordance with God's standards, when you walk within the boundaries that he has set for you and for human beings, you're going to find you get into a whole lot less trouble. When you step outside of those boundaries, whether your profession is as a Christian or not, you will find that you begin to eat the bad fruit of those seeds that you planted out there in the world. When you step outside of those boundaries, you can find that you get hurt, that you get in trouble. There are certain places you don't need to go. There are certain people you don't need to be around. 
And there are certainly certain things you don't need to be doing even within the, the four walls of your house. Because what we don't understand is that we are inviting the enemy in. We're inviting evil into our homes with what we watch on, on television, what we tune into or, or, or call up on the internet. We're inviting that evil in. And we need to understand, if you are saved, as many of you indicated a moment ago, then that means that you're safe from all of this evil in the world. But if you're saved, that means that you're making different choices. Now, you may be tempted to step out there and do and say some things that other people are doing and saying, but the Holy Spirit always accompanies those who are saved. That's what this passage that I just read is all about. The Holy Spirit descended upon those disciples. The Holy Spirit filled them up to overflow, and that was visible as the result of this gift called tongues and this prophesying, this foretelling, foretelling, excuse me, uh, of the word of God. That was evidence. But you don't have to speak in tongues and you don't have to prophesy to have the Holy Spirit. However, if you do allow the Spirit to fill you, then you will have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's a different set of attitudes toward everything. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. I don't like those church people. That's all right. Love us. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Joy. I just don't feel happy. That's okay. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is abiding and remaining because you know that you're okay. You know where you're headed, and you know that you serve this good and loving God. Peace. We need peace today, don't we? Peace means that that is the natural overflow of the Holy Spirit. Peace means I don't want to be involved in strife. Peace means that if there's a conflict between me and someone else, I want to make it right. But if, if the, the, the person that I'm talking to and dealing with is implacable, do you know this word, implacable? That means they will not have peace. There are people out there that are just, they're angry. They're just angry. And they want to get into a fight. It might be a Twitter fight, right? It might be, you know, text flames going back and forth might be a long, terrible email, but there are people that are unhappy with life and they're unhappy with themselves and they're gonna take it out on everyone. And sometimes, oftentimes, these people are implacable. Your best bet is to take a step back. Don't fight with them, don't argue with them, don't get into it with them. Take a step back and pray for them. And pray that at some point in the future, if this has been a friend of yours, that they will, uh, they will come to a place where they can maybe pay attention to you, that, that they will maybe uh, be willing to listen to you, be willing to receive the peace that God offers. But I'm going to say this, if you are saved, you're not implacable. You want to make peace. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, all right, for they will be called sons of God. I, I, I have peace and I want to make peace with other people. I don't want to fight with other people. I, you know, I used to, when I was younger, I needed to, to prove to everybody that I was right all the time. That was very, very important to me. And I've come to see that if you really are right, you don't need to prove that to anybody. If you're right, you're right with God. And that's what gives you peace. Love, joy, peace, patience. 
People often think that they need to work on patience. You don't need to work on patience. You need to work out patience. You need to work out the patience that the Holy Spirit has worked in. If you'll just pay attention to the Spirit, if you'll set your mind on the Spirit instead of on the flesh, that's in the natural, that's you apart from God. If you'll set your mind on the Spirit, patience will flow out. I can feel myself, right after I get up in the morning, I can feel myself becoming impatient. Do you know I am most often impatient with things that don't work and with myself when I seem to not be able to do what I want to do when I'm acting in a manner that I consider incompetent. I can be very impatient with myself and I can be impatient with stuff. But I can feel oftentimes that the Holy Spirit is offering me an opportunity to step back from that and to be patient. And you know what? Sometimes I don't. And I'm, I make myself miserable for who knows how many minutes or hours or the whole day. But if I pay attention to the Holy Spirit, then God works that patience up and then I work it out. That's what you need, right? You don't need to, to force patience. You need to work it out and let it happen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. This is simple. Kids, anybody can be kind. You can be kind. Even if someone is mean to you, you can still be kind to them. You can choose to be kind. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. If there were more kindness in these situations where we find uh, police officers and people that they pulled over and so forth, if there wasn't the presumption of guilt, if there wasn't automatically treating the person like they're a criminal, if the person, instead of being disrespectful, would simply be courteous and respectful and kind, I think that you would find that the overwhelming majority of these things would simply work out. But people get in their mind that that's the enemy. Whoever that person is, they're the enemy. And so I, I can't be kind to them because in some way I'm going to be showing them that I agree with them when I don't agree with them. No, you can be kind to anybody. You can be kind to people that you don't agree with. You really, really can. I remember hearing a story many, many years ago uh, from a preacher and uh, and this story is probably, it probably comes from, I, I don't know, the earlier part of the 20th century. But uh, this preacher told the story about a, uh, a, uh, a man who was very, very into anti-smoking. He was trying, he would always do everything he could to try to get people to stop smoking. He went everywhere, all over the country, trying to help people understand how unhealthy it was and how bad it was. And, uh, but the man was also a Christian. And so this preacher said that he recalled being on the stage and preaching to a group of people in an outdoor setting. And this man that he knew was so anti-smoking was standing right next to someone else who kept trying to light their cigarette. And they couldn't, they couldn't get it to happen. So what did that anti-smoking guy do? Just go, <laughs> you deserve it. Don't you know that's killing you? No, you know what he did? He shielded him so that he could light his cigarette. Now, did that mean that suddenly he, you know, just changed his mind and now he agrees that smoking is okay? No, it's not. We used to have a man that came to this church. Now, I want you to be careful with these stories that I'm telling you, right? There's a fine line sometimes between enabling and being a caring person. 
But there's a man that used to go to this church some years ago, and uh, his testimony is phenomenal. But he was a drug user. He was an intravenous drug user. And he went to the drug house and he bought his drugs. I can't even remember what he used, all right? Uh, heroin or, or meth or uh, uh, crack or something. I don't know, whatever he used. But he, he used it intravenously. It might have been heroin. And uh, so intravenous drug users need to have a place to shoot up. They need to find a safe place to shoot up. Well, it's, it's not safe to stick this stuff in your, in your veins. But... Safe place as in you're not going to get beat up or you're not going to get your drugs or your money taken from you or whatever. So this, uh, this friend of ours who used to go to this church came out of that drug house and there was, a, there was a, a little old lady in a house next door. And she began to, she looked over the fence and she began to try to talk to him. And I'm not telling you the story as well as he would tell his own testimony. But he said, I tell you what, lady, you give me a safe place to shoot up and you can preach what, and tell me whatever you want to tell me. <laughs> so you know what? She did. She was walking in the spirit. She wasn't trying to be an enabler. She let this man in. She shared the gospel with him while he did his drugs. Long story short, that man's a believer. He's a strong believer today. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you need to enable people that are doing horrible things. I'm trying to tell you that when you're a Christian, kindness is second nature to you, man. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, just inherent goodness, right? I think that that is a, that is a, a term that we should, we should understand deep in our gut, just what it means to be good. A lot of people want to convince themselves and other people that they're a good person, but I'm a good person when I know a good and loving God and that good overflows, all right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We talked about that uh, last week or two weeks ago. We talked about faithfulness, and I used uh, Brother Vernon as an, as an example of faithfulness. Faithfulness means that you're true. Faithfulness means that you're consistent. Faithfulness means that you keep your word, and that is what flows out of you when the Spirit is in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. You know what gentleness is? Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is somebody that is overwhelmingly strong. Okay? So I see some guys in the gym. I go to the gym every day. And there's this one guy that comes in there. And I've never had a chance to talk to him. He always comes in there with his girlfriend. The dude is just looks like a bodybuilder, man. I mean, he is just, you know. I'm like, golly, man. I am so jealous of you right now. Gentleness is somebody like that that can pick up and hold a baby. Gentleness is somebody like that that even in a situation where there's a conflict doesn't react back. So I try very hard uh, not to get drawn into some of these, uh, these horrible videos that are out there, uh, even the ones that are uh, you know, body cams or you know, somebody showing with their cell phone what's going on. I don't want to get stirred up and drawn into that. And it's what I was telling you guys last week about guarding your heart. Because when I see people mistreat other people, it really, really makes me mad. I mean, it makes me very mad. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can pray, but there's nothing I can do about it. And if there's nothing I can do about it, I'm not going to watch people hurt each other. I'm sorry, if you're entertained by that, you have a flaw. You have a deep-seated flaw in your heart. 
and that needs to be healed because it's wrong. When I want to watch violence, when I want to watch people get hurt, when I have, uh, uh, the German term is Schadenfraud, right? Where somebody uh, gets what's coming to them, right? They, they, you know, they do some, uh, you see somebody that's out there and you know, they're goofing around in the middle of the street and they get hit by a car or something. Ha, deserved it, idiot. It's terrible, right? This is the wrong attitude to have. This is not the, the kindness that flows out of somebody, right? This is, this is not someone who is exercising this inherent goodness that, that is in them. And this is not uh, gentleness on my part. But I was watching, um, I don't know, one of, one of these folks that I follow uh, on uh, YouTube posted a brief video and there was a conflict between a lady, and she was a pretty big lady, and this police officer. And there was another police officer standing over behind the lady. And I mean, she just hauled off and just smacked this cop right in the face. And I thought, my goodness, and she just kept talking and then she hauled off and smacked him again. He didn't hit her back. Now the other cop behind him did and stopped the incident. The point is not for me to say anything bad about that lady. The point is for me to say, wow, when Jesus had turned the other cheek, that's exactly what that cop did. That takes more guts than it takes to hit somebody back. It's a, it takes a lot more internal fortitude to do the, the kind of protests that were going on when Martin Luther King Jr. changed this country took a lot of courage. Those people went out with an understanding that they were gonna get hurt, that they were gonna go to jail, but they were determined to change this country. And in spite of what you may have heard, this country is dramatically different than it was in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Sure, there's still holdovers. Sure, there's still racists out there. But the point is the gentleness of MLK, the gentle, determined willingness to go out in the midst of all of that and deal with that hatred, allow that to come upon him. That's, that's amazing. That is, that's a spiritual discipline, gentleness is, all right? And then the last one hooks right into it is self-control, right? That's, you know, when I want to do something, I want to do something violent, I want to react in anger, or I want to give in to temptation or, or any number of things, that self-control is what I exercise. But notice, this is also something that you work out. God works it in, and then you work it out. It's already in you. If you're saved, then you're saved out of this world. And you and I need to act like it. We need to be God's holy people. That's what that means. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. I can't go along with everybody else just doing what everybody else does, acting like and talking like everybody else. I've got to be different, right? As the, the passage of scripture I alluded to earlier that says, don't be unequally yoked, says, what has the temple of God to do with idols, right? What has the Lord to do with, with Satan, with Belial? What does light have to do with darkness? If you have the light of the world in you, then every dark place you go in, that light shines. If you have to hide the light in order to go into a dark place, then my friend, you're in a darker place than the place you're going in. So what does it mean to be saved? This world is under judgment. It's under God's judgment. This world is cursed, if you will. You want to look at it that way. 
And being saved means I'm saved out of that. Being saved means I'm safe. Being saved means I'm protected. And that's what we need. If you want to escape fear related to the coronavirus or, or anything else, I mean, quite honestly, the protests that, that are still going on in our country, but that were going on uh, even in our area a month ago, um, there were extremists who were stepping into these protests and, and causing all sorts of violence. And when I heard on a couple of occasions that they were coming through downtown Garland, I wasn't excited. And this doesn't have anything to do with the nature of their cause. It has to do with the fact that these protests were turning violent and churches like ours could get destroyed. We've got plate glass windows all the way around. In fact, a young man that used to go to this church went hauling across the parking lot one time, stuck his hand out, going 100 miles an hour and hit that plate glass window out there and it broke and shattered and cut his wrist. And our youth minister at the time, being a sharp guy and being you know, very thoughtful, took this kid in his arms and held him and kept pressure on that wound because it was right across here, okay? It was bad. I, have, I still have a picture of when the paramedics came and they poured stuff on the concrete and whatever, but you know, he held him and then you know, he wrapped it up. The last thing I need is for you know, somebody to start throwing th things through our window, right? I don't know what's going on out here. We have what looks like a bullet or a BB hole in one of our, our windows upstairs. I never heard anything. I don't know where that came from, right? But obviously, there's people around that want to do evil. And so that's why, uh, you know, we have people in this church, one in particular that goes around this church and prays over this building all the time, constantly. This person I know prayed over every one of these chairs that you're sitting in today. You ever come here and just feel like the Lord's really speaking to you? Man, praise God for our band that prepares and whatever, but praise God for this person that already prayed for you before you got here. You know, so you saw this, this skit that uh, Autumn blessed us with earlier related to pray without ceasing, pray continuously. You know, prayer is not just you talking to God, it's you waiting upon the Lord. Yeah. And you're not gonna hear an audible voice like in the skit. The reality is if you will pray with your Bible open, the Lord will speak to you, All right? Now, I don't, I don't think it's wise to just open the Bible and stick your finger on a verse, All right? because you might get a good one, you might get a bad one, you know? So in the skit, she got a good one, pray continuously. Oh, that's, that's awesome, okay? So, you know, what if you open the Bible and you go to the verse and it's like, Judas hanged himself. Ooh. Okay. Go thou and do likewise. Okay, no, that's... That's not the way to do it. But as I've told you guys in the past, I send out verses every day, not verses, I send out passages every day, right? If you wanna, if you wanna get a passage from me, uh, then all you gotta do is text the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, to 94000. Come back and ask me and I'll tell you that again. But you'll get a passage from me every day. But be in a Bible reading plan. Be reading the word every day. God wants to speak to you. And that is a big part of what it means to keep you safe and keep you saved. And as I've said, since the outbreak of this coronavirus, you need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is gonna tell you what you need to do and what you don't need to do. When you have that, what some Christians have called a check in your spirit, right? Or you just don't feel peaceful about a decision that you're making, that's a good reason to take three steps back and enter into a time of prayer and say, okay, Lord, what's going on here? Why am I feeling like this? Maybe I, maybe I don't need to be doing this. Maybe, and it might not be something wrong or bad. It just might be 
the choice that the Lord doesn't. Listen, I, I, have, to, I have to check this so that it doesn't become just a, a, an overburdened conscience, uh, you know, uh, but there are times when very minor choices that I make seem to be important to the Lord to the degree that he just doesn't want me to do that. And I'm just thinking, what? And it might be something like, what shirt I'm going to wear that day? Now, most of the times, I'm not just like, Lord, lead me to the shirt, right? <laughs> but on the other hand, if I've made a choice and I'm going to, you know, I've got this, this you know, particular outfit, if you will, you know, picked out, I'm going to do this and this and this, and I just get this sense that, no, that's just not, and I really have. I've, I've had that happen to me before on Sunday morning when I'm getting ready and I've got this whole thing and it's all ready and, and just didn't seem like that's what the Lord wanted. And I was like, now that might seem a little weird to you, a little crazy to you, but I want you to understand that God digs down into the details. This is the God that knows the number of hairs on your head. This is the God that the scripture says is present when a sparrow falls from the sky. So I would imagine he's present when a grackle falls from the sky. That's when I exercise schadenfreude. I don't like those grackles, right? But you know what? I never like to see anything die. I, I never like, you know, I can't, and I know some of you are going to hate me for this, but I'm just going to be honest. I hate possums. I just hate them. I know, I know, they're good, and we love them, and let's, have them, let's make them our pets. And you know, No, I, I don't like them. I, they look like big rats to me. I don't like them. But in recent days, I've seen a couple of different possums uh, you know, on the road, and they've gotten run over. Hey, I'm not excited about that. Hey, that's not what I want to have happen. And I think God cares about all of his creation. He cares about all of these creatures. He made them. All right? I mean, I squashed a big water bug this morning, and I'm sure the Lord liked it. You know? <laughs> I don't mean he liked that I squashed it, but I'm sorry I'm not going to leave it here because I know what's going to happen. Some of you ladies are going to see that water bug and scream and interrupt the service. That's what's going to happen. So I'm sorry, the water bug had to, he was kind of crawling slow anyway, so I think I just ended it. Just kind of euthanasia for the water bug type of a deal. But on the whole, you know, I, I, I don't like to see anything die. I don't like to see anything hurt. I don't, I don't like to see any of that happen. And I think that that's part of what it means to be a believer is that we share um, what the Lord thinks and what the Lord feels about these things. And if you're going to be saved... If you're going to be safe, then you need to be holy, set apart, set apart from the world, and you need to be paying attention to the Holy Spirit who is seeking to lead you in every single decision you make. And if you don't have that sense, if you don't have that sense of the Spirit's presence, then I'm going to invite you. We're going to open the curtain back up. And we're going to sing a couple of songs. I'm going to invite you to open your mind up and open your heart up and open your mouth up, and you heard the scripture, Jubilee quoted uh, the, the scripture in Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jubilee, that's not the only place that scripture is. It's actually quoted several times in the New Testament, and you heard it again in Acts chapter 2. That's because it actually comes from Joel, the prophet, and they were all quoting it. But it's for you. If you call on the name of Jesus, he will save you. He will surround you with his protection. He will fill you with his spirit. He will give you a new life. He will give you permanent hope that never leaves. Jesus said uh, he will, and this is a promise in the Old Testament from God as well, he will never fail you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you behind. He loves you. And if God is for you, nobody can stand against you. And we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us.
So I want to invite you to open your heart right now. Talk to the Lord. And if you would like to speak to someone about a relationship with Christ, then uh, I'll be down here. And uh, I don't know where Pastor Craig is. There he is. Pastor Craig will be down here. We'll be wearing our masks to keep you safe. All right. And uh, we would love to pray with you and talk with you. But honestly, can, can I just be honest? I don't even have to get off the stage for this. It's as simple as calling out to Jesus. Just try this. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to say this prayer after me. And if you'll say these words and mean them, this is what it means to call on the name of the Lord. Say, dear Jesus, I'm calling out to you. I believe in you. You are the son of God. You are the savior of the world. I confess I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead. I open my heart. I invite you to come inside. Be my savior. Be my Lord. I will follow you. Amen.